The views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today, or CUBIST, a bi-weekly podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. This program is produced by the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center, otherwise known as DIVBIC. I'm your host today, Don Marion, and I'm a neurosurgeon and senior clinical consultant at DIVBIC. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Dr. Ann Bunner. Dr. Bunner is a biologist and program analyst here at DIVBIC. Ann and I will discuss a study entitled Neuroimaging of Sport Concussion, Persistent Alterations in Brain Structure and Function at Medical Clearance. This article was recently published in Scientific Reports by Churchill and colleagues. So, Anne, hi and welcome. Hi, thank you, Don. Great study, a great pick. What was the key takeaway message from the study? So the authors found that small brain abnormalities are still present even after the athletes recovered from their concussion symptoms and had been told by a physician that they're ready to return to play. The authors used the phrase persistent alterations to emphasize there were no significant changes between the scans taken within days of concussion and the scans taken after clearance to return to play. So we're talking about this, uh, this whole issue of who can return to play and safely returning the athlete to play. And, and I guess to put this in context, we've been talking a lot in the past about just focusing on the symptoms. And here, the study is starting to say, well, there's another aspect. It's, it's the imaging. So who were the participants, and, and how old were they, and gender? All of the 54 participants were college athletes. Half of them had a physician-diagnosed acute concussion, and they were matched one-to-one with control athletes based on age, sex, and lifetime concussion history. The 27 control participants had no recent concussions. About half the participants were women. Uh, which sports are we talking about? The athletes were drawn from nine different sports, including rugby, volleyball, football, lacrosse, basketball, and soccer, and others. And how were they assessed? Post-concussion symptoms were assessed with the Sport Concussion Assessment Tool, or SCAT-3, which assesses self-reported symptoms, balance, memory, and concentration. Brain structure was assessed using Diffusion Tensor Imaging, or DTI. SCAT-3, an unusual name, is that a commonly used instrument for post-concussion assessment? It is commonly used, although the current version is the SCAT-5. The Sport Concussion Assessment Tool, or SCAT, is published by the Concussion and Sport Group that also publishes consensus recommendations, commonly known as the Berlin Consensus. I discussed this consensus statement with Inbal in the fifth episode of Cubist entitled Sport Concussion Consensus Statement. How is the SCAT different than the MACE? Are they similar? Or? The SCAT is more detailed than the MACE and a little bit longer. Okay. And so, Anne, what was the timing of the neuroimaging scans or studies that you referred to relative to the time of their concussion? Concussed participants were brought in for initial assessment, a median of four days after injury, and again after medical clearance to return to play. Time to clearance varied widely, with a median around seven days. So I think most of our listeners probably know this, but can you just briefly explain for us DTI? Diffusion tensor imaging, or DTI, is a type of magnetic resonance imaging approach that can reveal brain microstructure based on the diffusion of water. The specific parameters that are extracted from these scans are called fractional anisotropy, or FA, and mean diffusivity, or MD. These parameters directly relate to the diffusion of water in myelinated axons, but they also provide information about axonal integrity. 
And what did the researchers find with the neuroimaging data? So fractional anisotropy was lower in the concussed group than in the control group, both during the acute phase when they were symptomatic and after clearance to return to play. Consistent results were seen with mean diffusivity with significant increases in MD in the concussed group at both time points in the same brain regions. In plain English, kind of tell us how these parameters uh, relate to axonal integrity and, and the brain pathology. The concussed athletes showed evidence of edema and axonal injury. The fact that the DTI parameters did not significantly change between acute concussion and return to play tells us two things. One, that symptom recovery does not equal brain healing. And two, that these athletes are returning to potentially risky sports activities before full brain recovery. So fractional anisotropy, or FA, you can correlate that then with axonal integrity, or, or is it, that's, I guess, an indicator, a marker of, of axonal damage? Would that be fair? Exactly. So fractional anisotropy directly measures whether water diffuses in a straight line or in many different directions, as it is wont to do without constraint. And an axon being a sort of a tube-like structure, if the tube is intact, the diffusion of water will be constrained by the axon. But if the axon is swollen or damaged in some way, that will alter the way the water diffuses. Thanks, Anne. That helps a lot. What are the limitations of the study? We don't have pre-injury neuroimaging data, so we don't know how many of these microstructural changes existed prior to injury. We also know very little about these, how these small changes observed with these sophisticated neuroimaging techniques impact behavioral and functional outcomes. I guess the $6 million question, is it fair to say that the brain often is not healed when we let these athletes return to play? I think that's exactly what these data suggest, yes. We do need more research to understand how these neuroimaging parameters change during concussion recovery and over the lifespan of a person who sustains multiple concussions. Uh, What's your takeaway from all this? Are, Are we supposed to ban all contact sports now? We know that athletes who sustain a second concussion before their symptoms symptoms resolve end up with more severe symptoms and a longer recovery time. And something similar might happen here. But I think it's premature to change our recommendations for return to play. And we, we might want to err on the side of caution. These data highlight a dilemma for providers who have to make recommendations based on limited information. Thank you so much, Anne. That was uh, really informative. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed this quick literature update. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the articles we discussed and other relevant resources. If you have any questions about our podcast or about DivBic products or programs, or if you have feedback for us, please feel free to email us at info at That's info at dvbic.org. Cubist is produced and edited by Deborah Balin and was hosted today by me, Don Marion. It is a product of the Defense and Veterans Brain Injury Center led by Acting National Director Dr. Thomas DeGrava and the Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury, led by Acting Director Dr. Richard Stoltz. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks to explore recent concussion literature.